Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. As Christians, we want to be more like Jesus, less like me. That's what this song's about. But just don't get it right Where I talk the talk That I don't walk And miss the moments Right before my eyes Somebody with a hurt That I could have helped Somebody with a hand That I could have helped When I just can't see past myself Lord, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, and love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, yeah, a little less like me. Bones. 
least I steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I that new song with myself personally um, nothing wrong with the song don't hear me complaining that's not what I mean I just know me I need to be 
maybe a little more like Jesus, but a whole lot less like me rather than a little bit. But the more we become like him, certainly the less we become like our old selves. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. As you're turning there, um, have a few announcements um, to make. Let me take a moment to thank those of you uh, and welcome you who are joining with us online. Uh, those of you who are here this evening, we are so grateful uh, to have you in Bible study with us. We are making plans and arrangements to, to move forward and getting our ministries uh, back up um, and going. Uh, we'll be beginning our, our men's small group and our women's small group ASAP. We don't have a date set yet, and the reason being is because I'm going to put out a couple of sign-up sheets. Um, they'll be on the Welcome Center desk. Um, tonight after service and they'll be there until um, at least for a couple of weeks and uh, what I would like to do is is if if you are a well you are either a man or a woman um, <laughs> regardless of what secular society says there is no in-between you're one or the other um, but but if you would Sign up and let us know that you're going to be in attendance. Um, the We're going to meet every two weeks to begin with. Um, and I really believe the Lord would have us to do a study in both our men and women's Bible study that um, on a book that I read some many years ago now, it's an older book, um, not real old, but it's not a um, bestseller right now. Um, but the title of the book is Radical, and it's written by a pastor named David Platt. Um, and so we need to know how many is going to be in, in attendance uh, for that Bible study. Um, the cost for those materials is not bad at all. It's like eight ninety nine for the book and then like $15 for the study guide. I would encourage you to get both. Um, probably no book that that I have ever read challenged me more personally uh, outside of the Bible than this book, Radical. Um, so I would encourage you to get the book and read the book. Um, so the total for that would be like $24 Um if, if we don't want nobody to not come because you don't want to or can't afford to purchase the book. So um, if on, on this um, sheet, if you would just put your name, um, check under study guide and book, whichever or both if you want. And then we're also asking that you would put the, the, the day of the week that would be best for you. And they will be at 7 o'clock um, in the evening. Um, but we want to try to accommodate as many people as we possibly can. Now, we understand um, that it's not normally possible to 
um, include everybody, but we want to try our best to make sure we make this study as available to as many people as we can. Um, so those two sign-up sheets, one for the men and one for the women, uh, we'll be laying out on the Welcome Center this evening, and we'll be there for two weeks. Um, also, um, we're going to have some sign-up sheets out as well um, for volunteers for our Easter service. Um, we're going to need, um, I always say ladies, but of course men. Tommy's one of the best cooks that we have in the church, uh, so I don't want to exclude men. Um, but we want to limit the amount of people that we actually have cooking and preparing food to like maybe three or four. Um, and, and, and once we get that group together, if they feel like they need more help than that, then, then that, that'll be perfectly fine as well. Uh, but we want to just try to keep from um, as many people, as few, keep as few people handling the food as humanly possible. Um, if you do sign up for that, we will ask you, we'll re require of you that you'll wear a uh, mask and gloves and um, just just pr practice um, safe dietary practices to be uh, preparing food. Um, also, we want to get as many people involved as we can. Um, so we would like another group of people to volunteer uh, to serve, saying maybe three or four people um, on Sunday morning to actually serve the food, um, and, and it will be outside. We'll set up tables out there, um, and, and to just have them serve people as they come through the line there. Um, let, let me also say about our Sunday, that Sunday service, I would encourage you, um, Lord, weather permitting now, we don't know, of course, what weather's going to do. We hope it's going to be a beautiful day and no rain. Um, but, but we can't hardly predict the weather, it seems like, anymore. Every time we turn around, it's raining. Um, so weather permitting, it will be outside. Um, we'll, we'll be asking another group of men to volunteer. Sign-up sheet will be out there on the welcome desk to park cars uh, on that Sunday morning. And then another group um, to help with the setup and the teardown um, both before and after the service. Um, that's setting up our audio, video equipment, the stage, and, and everything that goes in with that. Um, for those of you who will be uh, joining with us um, for our outside service, it will be a drive-in service. You will be able to remain in your car. Um, we don't expect or um, we want you to feel safe. Um, so you are more than welcome to stay in your car. Uh, I would encourage you to bring chairs and, and enjoy the fresh air outside. Um, I'm going to be outside, um, and we will do our best to protect everybody's space. And um, we, we just want to come together as the family of God and worship on Resurrection Sunday. So I encourage everybody that can um, to get involved with that. So all of these sign-up sheets will be out here on the welcome desk this evening. And... Um, they will be there for two weeks. You, you know, God is sending us some people. I, I was going to mention this in our prayer request. Um, and, and, and the people that God is sending us are people with a, a mind to work. And, boy, you got to appreciate that. You know what? Um, I, I believe that, that God appoints pastors to churches, and I believe that God appoints people to churches. He's got a place for each one of us to serve. And... Um, so, so we want to be um, doing our best uh, to do what it is he's called us, each one individually, to do to support the corporate ministry that he's entrusted to the bridge. 
Yes, ma'am. Sure you can. It's going to be at 11 o'clock. Our service will be at 11, and the meal will be immediately following. No, no, ma'am. Yeah, it'll be at 11 o'clock in the morning, um, and, and then the meal will be immediately following the service. So um, if, if what did you say, Ian? Four or five. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to be long tonight. If you've got to get up and go, you're just going to have to get up and go. But I, I really believe that last night I was talking to Elizabeth Lewis on the telephone, and she asked me where we were going um, in our Bible study tonight. And, and I told her, and I, it was, I was being truthful. I really did not know, and I did not know until today. But, but I am satisfied we're going exactly where uh, God would have us to be at um, this evening. In relation to our, our prayer list, I'm, I'm sure that I don't have everybody that we need to be praying for on our list, but we do especially want to remember Jean and Sheila Smith. Um, I had the privilege of being able to go see Sheila um, this week. It's hard to believe. It's been, phew, what, over a year now. Um, so it was really, really good to be able to see her. Um, remember Carl and Joe Tyner. Carl is really having a difficult time um, emotionally still, um, and, and of course, so is Joe as well. So be praying that God would just encourage uh, both of them. Remember Kenny and Ella Oliveira, um, Corey and Christy Eby. Um, as I'm sure you know they have moved um, and are ho hopefully already begun looking for a, a new church to call home so we want to be praying that uh, God will lead them and they'll be sensitive to his leadership um, in choosing their, their new church home remember Charlie and Kathleen Towton uh, as they're traveling is Don and Margie still on the road no. okay um, anyway we'll pray, we'll pray for them anyway how about that um, I've already got them on here we might as well pray for them um, Remember Curtis Burton. Uh, Curtis is really struggling with his neuropathy. Uh, Rory Nicholson, as most of you know, was in the hospital this week. Uh, his diabetes um, sugar shot way up. I mean, just borderline coma shot up. So we want to certainly be praying for him. Um, also, of course, our Easter services, upcoming revival, um, the relaunching of our ministries, not only our men's ministry and our women's ministry, but uh, we have some some things in the works right now, just, just praying and waiting on confirmation from God um, in getting our youth ministry started back up. Um, as we pray for our, our youth ministry, let's, let's remember, um, I, I believe God's going to put a new youth minister, pastor, uh, preacher in place. Um, we not only want to pray for that ministry, but our outreach efforts uh, through Joel's basketball team, um, and then this fall Billy's football season coming up. Those have been wonderful opportunities for us to uh, reach not only young people, but, but families as well. So I um, pray that God would, would certainly help us to um, see how we might better come alongside them. I tell you, it was wonderful this week. Uh, I apologize to Joelle on the telephone because I did not realize that they had a game this past weekend he said he emailed me the schedule um 
and I apologize to him because we didn't, in, in my mind, we didn't do anything to, to help them. And then he informed me uh, that it had already been taken care of. And boy, it's good when God's people, when, when ministry is going on and the pastor don't know anything about it, that's pretty good stuff. You know it? Um, so we want to be praying for that. Also, Bill was telling me today, uh, I didn't, I've not, still not watched the weather, but that they're calling for some severe thunderstorms uh, tomorrow, Bill, um, with uh, possible tornadoes as well. So uh, we remember just how recently our community was impacted, Ocean Isle Beach, especially with tornadoes. And um, I, I still believe that there's a God in heaven who speaks and the winds lay down. Um, so let's just be praying that, that those storms go out to sea somewhere or just dissipate wherever they're at right now. Um, okay. Um, in, anybody else before we pray? Let me just go ahead and put my name on there too. Stanley household. We, we always stand in need. Well, we need to be praying for our church family continually, consistently. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Tim, would you lead us as we pray, please, sir? Yes. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm, I'm going to do something that I, I typically don't do, and, and that is I'll, I'll read more tonight than what um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tied to my notes tonight because I have so many, and, and, and I want to stay on track because I want to cover everything that 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 is in this lesson tonight. It's only really, the focal point is is really one, ver one verse, um, one truth, but 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 I, I believe one that we would need to um, take heed to, and and not only hear the word, but be doers of the word. If there was ever a time in American Christianity where we needed to not only hear this word, put it into practice, then it's the very day and hour we find ourselves living in. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most, probably the most uh, famous sermon that we have recorded in Scripture. In verse number 44, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, you'll note that these words are written in red, or it is the Lord Jesus speaking to us, so it'll be right. Amen? Not that the black letters aren't, because they're all inspired. Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. On November the 6th, 1865, the ceasefire agreement of the Shenandoah was supposed to have brought an end to the Civil War. However, as soldiers began making their way home from the war, hatred and hostility followed them from the battlefield to their doorsteps. A piece of paper in leaving the battlefield is not always equivalent to eliminating hatred that fuels fights and wars. A Union soldier by the name of Asa Harmon McCoy was traveling to his home on the Tug Fork of the Sand Hills River in Pike County, Kentucky. Before arriving home, he was shot down and murdered. Devil Lance Hatfield, a Confederate soldier who had recently arrived home in Logan County, West Virginia, just across the river from the McCoy home place, was the first and the primary suspect. However, later it was determined that the Logan Wildcats, a Confederate home guard, was responsible, and it was most likely Devil Lance's uncle Jim Vance who fired the fatal shot. Twenty-two years later, in 1822, Ellison Hatfield was killed in a bloody brawl between the McCoys and the Hatfields. The Hatfields responded by kidnapping and executing three of the McCoy brothers, Tolbert, Falmer, and Rudolph, Jr. The fighting escalated between the two families, culminating leading up to New Year's Day, 1888. When a group of Hatfields led by Jim Vance went to Randall McCoy's farm and while unable to kill him, they did shoot and kill one of his sons and daughters. The McCoys responded by forming a posse and led by the Pike County Sheriff crossed the river and killed Jim Vance and three others. In successive attempts, they arrested nine members of the Hatfield family and took them back to Pike County, Kentucky to stand trial. The trial resulted in one of the Hatfields being hanged to death and eight others receiving life sentences. The hatred between the two families in the 25-year feud resulted in more than a dozen deaths on both sides, eight life sentences, and one hanging. 
It's been more than 130 years since the Hatfields and the McCoys fired their fatal shots. Thank God much has changed since those early days after the Civil War. However, there is much that has not. Today, that same fight is being fought on the streets of America. There is talk of systemic racism, critical race theory. People speak of black lives matter, blue lives matter, and if you say all lives matter, then you're a racist too. White supremacy, white nationalism, and white privilege are the headlines of mainstream media every single day. If you're a conservative who believes and stands on the biblical principles of sanctity of life, monogamous sexual relationships between a man and a woman for life, if you stand for God's design for the family and procreation, if you believe that every life has value and significance regardless of ethnicity or skin color simply because we are each created in the image of God, if you believe that God has created gender and designated gender-specific roles, if you believe in an absolute truth, right and wrong, that good is good and evil is evil, well, now in America you're labeled a domestic terrorist. Though they don't carry the same name, the Hatfield and McCoys are still fueled with hatred and battling it out in America today. There are just a lot more issues being fought, of, fought over. Did you know that some historians believe the feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys didn't actually originate over the difference, differences in the Civil War, but rather over a dispute concerning the ownership of a pig? The most dangerous place to have been on a battlefield in that day and time wasn't on one side or the other. It was getting caught in the crossfire in the middle. If you're on one side or the other, you're taking enemy fire from one direction. But if you're in the middle, you're taking fire from both directions. I believe that the shape of America today and the American church can be symbolized in the battle between the Hatfields and the McCoys. You had on one side of the Sandy Ridge River the Hatfields. And on the other side, you had the McCoys. Nothing really but the river and an invisible state line separated the two. I believe that we have Really, that same battle going on in America today. 
you have the Hatfields on one side, call them whatever you will, whatever group is fighting today. The McCoys on the other side, call them whatever you will, whatever group is fighting the other group today. And you have the church right in the middle. The bullets are being fired back and forth. And the church is in the middle of a crossfire. It's a fearful place to be. What we are seeing now take place, I believe, is the church trying to decide which side of the river to get out on. Let me, let me put it another way. I fear that there are far too many within the church if the temptation does not reside in all of us to try to choose whether we want to hook up with the Hatfields or do we want to lock arms with the McCoys? Because we're tired of taking fire from both directions. You see, the problem is, is that whether it began over the ownership of a pig Slavery or the matters surrounding the Civil War. The real issue wasn't political. It was spiritual. The reason they brought the war back home with them is because what they did not deal with on the battlefield is the condition of the human heart. And as the bullets are flying and the rhetoric's being bounced back and forth across the river, the church cannot choose sides. Because both the Hatfields and the McCoys were moonshiners. And both were fueled by hatred and rage. Regardless of what the issue of the day was. And the church cannot align itself with any party that's motivated, motivated by hatred. I'm not here to be political tonight, Republican or Democrat. I'm here to say that there's issues on both sides of the cultural divide in our country. And it's time that the church stop trying to play sides. The battle between good and evil, right and wrong, it's not a new phenomenon. It's not something new to our modern day experiences even. In fact, it's as old as the Bible. You can trace its roots all the way back to the book of Genesis. To the original family feud between Cain and Abel. 
while de- God dealt swiftly with the hatred between two brothers in the Old Testament, it was not annihilated. In fact, when Jesus came into this world, he came into a world where the people were culturally, ethnically, politically, and religiously divided. Jesus was considered to be a threat to the Roman government. If he were to emerge as a king, then what would that do for the king, the emperor of Rome? He was also a threat or perceived to be a threat to the Jewish religious system. Now the interesting fact of the matter is, is that the Romans and the religious Jews hated each other. Jesus would have been okay with the religious crowd. If he would have just taken their side, overthrowed Rome, and ushered in the kingdom and handed it back to the Jewish nation, they would have been fine with that. But as we know, Jesus came in to usher in a different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, his kingdom. That will one day realize as the millennial kingdom. Have you ever noticed that two people groups can literally hate one another? but seem to be able to find common ground when they can find a common enemy. And that's really where Jesus was. It wasn't the Jews alone who crucified Jesus. The Romans and the Jews both had a hand in it. But Jesus understood that in order to do the will of the Father, he couldn't choose either side Because both were motivated and fueled by hatred. In America today, on both sides of the cultural divide, like the moonshiners of yesteryear, there are drunks on both sides of the aisle. They're not drunk on alcohol, but power. Fueled by hatred. And I don't know if you've recognized it, realized it yet or not. 
But the church being in the middle of the river is taking fire from both sides. So the question begs to be answered. What do we do? In the midst of all of the chaos and crisis going on in our present culture. If the church can't choose sides. Then what do we do? I'm afraid that. Some already have chosen a side. Even amongst Christian circles. It amazes me at the things that we hear coming out of our pulpits across America today. From both conservatives and liberals. So there are some that's already chosen a side. And it'll come back to bottom because hatred is always, always results in death and destruction. And then I believe that there are many of us that still have not chosen a side, but maybe you're standing with one foot in the river and one foot on one side or the other. A foot in the Sandy Hills River and one foot in Kentucky. Or a foot in the Sandy Hills River and one foot on the shores of West Virginia. And then I fear, Joel, that there's a lot of us that have not chosen a side and really are at a place where we're at a loss and don't know what to do. And many have just stuck their heads in the water and said, it is what it is. Boy, I'm glad that when Jesus came into this world, he didn't choose a side. He didn't stick his head in the water. He stood in the gap and not only showed us, but taught us what to do in times just like this. You see, there's really only one remedy for hatred. And Jesus deals with it in our text. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We are to stand in the river. And love people on both banks. Now this goes against the very grain of our flesh. What Jesus has not only called but commanded us to do. 
you see, there's really no such thing as friendly fire when it comes to war. I don't care which side you're getting shot from, it don't feel friendly when you're getting shot at. But to love your enemies, well, first, we would just have to confess and be honest with ourselves and acknowledge the fact that we've got enemies. We need to maybe once again wake up to the reality that there is a war going on. And the church, Christians aren't exempt from having enemies. Now, we don't go about seeking to make enemies. Just being a Christian will do that for you. Now, according to Jesus, you can't run from your enemies. He doesn't give us the privilege of retaliating against them. No, he says you've got to love them. Now, that goes against the very grain of our fallen human nature. I mean, Michael, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves this evening. There's nothing about Frank Stanley in his flesh when he's being persecuted that wants to love my enemies. In, in, in fact, apart from Christ, even though I'm saved, if I operate according to the energy, the ability, the wisdom, even of my flesh then when I'm persecuted, what my flesh wants to do is get even. It wants to retaliate. But when I retaliate against my persecutors, according to Scripture, I rebel against the authority of God. Love your enemies. Now, I'm a firm believer that before we will ever be able to love our enemies, we've got to first choose who we're going to listen to. Jesus says in verse 43, verse 44, no, verse 43, you have heard that it hath been said... Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, you have heard it said, Jesus is quoting the religious leaders of his day and time, the leaders of Judaism who were teaching the people that they were supposed to hate their enemies. They were to love their neighbor and hate their enemies. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament and you know anything about the law is given to Moses, the law said, according to Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. As thyself, I am the Lord. And it stops there. 
He doesn't do as Jesus does in the New Testament and elaborate on that. God just told Moses to tell the people that they're to love their neighbors as their self because he's God and he said so. The Jewish leaders concluded that God only commanded them to love their neighbors, to which they assumed to be Jews only. Therefore, in their minds, and by their way of doing biblical math and justification of righteousness, they were okay to hate their neighbors, I mean their enemies, as long as they loved their neighbors. They conveniently lifted a portion of the law out of the Bible and taught it as a doctrine that become their tradition, but at the expense of other scripture that God had given to them. That is, they conveniently dismissed scripture that did not coincide with their narrative. They could readily recall the traditions that they taught but conveniently forgot scriptures like Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 21 where God said, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. In Exodus chapter 23 verse 4 where God said, if you meet thine enemy's ox or his ass, donkey, going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, laying on the ground, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help him. So, so certainly God's not only in the Old Testament instructed them in the law to love their neighbor, but he's told them how to treat their enemies. And he says, if, you're, if your enemy has a donkey and it's wandered away from home and you see it, God says, I require of you Get the donkey and take him back to his owner who's your enemy. Could I say it this way? You need to love your enemy like you love your neighbor. Now, the church is currently divided... Because we have prominent pastors and Bible teachers standing on both sides of the cultural divide. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of Jesus' day, they're utilizing select scriptures to support their political positions. And even go as to, so far as to use those scriptures to attack their political opponents across the river. 
But, but, but you see, it, it really doesn't matter as much what the conservatives have to say or the liberals have to say as it does what God has to say. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the preceding verses of our text, let, let me show you something here. Look, look back to verse 21 in Matthew chapter number 5. Six times in this chapter, Jesus makes contrast. In verse 21, listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, that thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now that's what you've heard, but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Notice again in verse number 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. I think that's a pretty good law, don't you? But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then notice again in verse number 31. It hath been said. Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And, and then notice in, in verse number 33, he continues the same pattern. Again, you have heard, it, heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. I got my notes all mixed up. But I say unto you, swear not at all. And then again in verse number 38, I don't mean to be the dead horse, but if Jesus repeats himself, he's got a purpose behind it. You have heard it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Boy, that's where a lot of us are living at right now. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. And again in 43. You have heard. That it hath been said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you. Love. Your enemies. You see the dangerous place. For the family of God, the Christian community right now is being careful who you listen to. Because there's not 100% truth coming from either side of the cultural divide. And, and, and here's the thing. Everything that Jesus said that they have heard, Joel... You can go back into the Old Testament and read from their Bible and you can find scripture to support it. But the Jewish leaders 
they're Bible scholars, they're Bible teachers. Can I say it this way without, I think, straining it too bad? They're pastors and they're preachers. We're lifting those texts up out of the Bible because they fit their narrative, their agenda. And avoiding all of the scripture that contradicted what they were trying to teach. And I'm telling you, we have some selective scripture searchers teaching Bible anymore. That's why it is so important, so imperative that you and I know what the Bible teaches on any given subject. Especially those that are creating such a divide in our country. But because chances are you'll get one portion of what Scripture teaches on one side of the river and another portion of what Scripture teaches on the other side of the river. And if you don't know what Jesus says in context on the whole issue at hand, you're going to be led astray and you'll hook up with the wrong side. Could, 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 I just, could I just, before we move on, could I just say this? We need to be studying our Bibles. In our conversations, it's not my opinion, Michael, or yours, that we should expect to settle matters and make a difference. We need to put our confidence in the word of God, guess what? It still works. But you got to know it in order to know where to stand. Now, we, we can understand maybe why those who practice Judaism, the common average everyday people in Jesus' day and time weren't as familiar with all of the Old Testament as what were the scribes and the Pharisees and um, the Sadducees, because everybody didn't have a copy of the Bible. In fact, most of the only time they ever heard the Bible was when they went to the house of God. But Tim, we're living in a time where everybody in this room has a Bible. I mean, you carry your Bible with you around. If you've got any kind of a smartphone, you carry your Bible with you around anywhere you go. But, but here's the question. Are we getting hung up in the arguments and the fighting and the bickering because we don't know what the Bible says? Now, Jesus says that we, we can't run from our enemies. We can't choose sides. Joel, we got to stand in the gap, just like he did. And love our enemies on both sides of the bank. Now, that's just words coming out of our mouths. Unless we actually put it into practice. It's easy to quote the scripture, Joel. But can I be honest with you? It's difficult. It's hard. No, it's impossible 
to love to the standard that Jesus requires us to love in and of our own energy and our own ability. It's not just hard, it's impossible. In fact, I'm, I'm satisfied that the only way any human being on this planet can love the way Jesus requires the church to love is if they're first born again by the Spirit of God. Enabled by the Holy Spirit to love in a fashion like God loves. Equipped by the Spirit to do what we cannot accomplish in the energy of our flesh. Why is there so much arguing and bickering in church life anymore? I would suggest to you that one reason is because there's so much lostness in church life anymore. Billy Graham said if he were to have to guess, and, and, and you know how long ago this has been. Billy Graham said if he were to have to take a guesstimate, an estimate on how many people who frequented churches on every Sunday morning and even faithful to a church, how many of them were actually born again? Billy Graham said he would guesstimate that 85% of professing Christians had never had a born-again experience with the Holy Ghost. It's impossible to love the way the Hatfields and the McCoys need the church to love if we're not first born again. But, but once we've been born again, it's not only possible, it's expected. It's required. It's not optional for the people of God. In fact... Jesus elevates this when you get to Matthew chapter number 22, I think it is. You know the story, Jesus is approached by one of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, teachers, doctors of the law of, of his day and time. And he asked Jesus the, 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 the really simple question, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? You, and, and in his mind now, he's not asking about ten commandments. He's asking about ten commandments and more than 630 traditions that they taught to be the commandments of God. And he's saying to Jesus, if, if, if you go down that list of 630 plus traditions and, and the ten commandments, what's the greatest out of all of them? And Jesus breaks it down and he says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And then he really complicates things because he says the second is like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. In, in, in other words, the greatest of all of the commandments is, is to love God supremely. But you can't do that right if you don't love your neighbor right. And, and let's face it, nobody who calls themselves a Christian should have a problem loving God. But, but if Tim, if we're real honest with I'll just preach to you. You'll talk to me. If, if we're real honest with ourselves, we do sometimes have, a trou have trouble loving people. Yeah. 
Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment because who is your neighbor? That's, that's really what they're getting at. Who do I have to love? Well, if you're standing in the middle of the river, you got neighbors on both sides of the bank. Michael, that means if you're a black man in the middle of the river, there's white folks on both sides of the bank. God requires you to love. If me as a white man and I'm standing in the middle of the river, guess what? There's black folks on both sides of the bank that God requires of me to love. If I'm a Republican standing in the middle of the river, there's Democrats on one side of the bank. God's requiring of me to love. If, 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 if I believe in the sanctity of life, the value of the unborn child in its mother's womb, and I'm in the middle of the river, there's a pro-choice advocate standing on the bank that God expects and requires of me to love. I told you, this gets difficult. And not only does God expect and require of me to love them, Jesus elevates it when he says to love your neighbor as yourself. There's one that none of us ever have a problem with. I can love me some Frank Stanley. I mean, that, really, that's, that's what our whole lives are geared around. Self-preservation, self-gratification, self-exaltation. Self-love, selfishness. Most of us don't have a problem loving ourselves, Joel. Problem is most of us love ourselves too much. And Jesus is saying, listen, think about how you love yourself and that's how you need to love your neighbor. Love your enemy even. Did, did you know that if you love people right, you'll be able to forgive people right? I mean, isn't that really what the gospel is all about? That Jesus loves us so much, he left his home in glory and came and gave his life on a cross. Because he loved us like he loves himself. What might that look like in your life and mine? To love my neighbor, love our enemies like we love ourselves. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I, I believe that this kind of love, it can be graded. I mean, it, it can be measured. It's, 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 it's not invisible. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's agape. Agape your enemies. Now that word is most often reserved. The Greek word agape for love is most often reserved for the love that God has for his son and for his people. The love that Jesus has for his church. Several Greek words in the Bible that speak to, um, that are translated love or charity in 
our, our New Testament Bible, one being phileo. We are all familiar with the, the phileo kind of love. It's brotherly love, my love for Bill and Bill's love for Joel and, and their love for, for me, um, for my love for Miss um, Sheila and Miss Sheila's love for, for Miss Joan. It's, it's familial love, family love. And, and a lot of times that's based on feeling and emotion. I, how many of you have ever heard, or maybe you've even said this, I fell out of love. If you fell out of love, it was phileo. It was familial love. It's based on emotion and feeling. Agape love is more of an act of the will. In, in fact, you'll always find the word agape attached to an action. In fact, if you were to read John chapter number 3, one of the most quoted, probably the most quoted verse in all of the Bible, for God so agape the world that he gave. It's connected to an action. And so Jesus wants us to know that if we are loving our enemies with agape love, like he requires of us to love them, it's not solely based on our emotions and our feelings. It's an act of the will. It's an action connected to the love that we're to love them with. And then he tells us what that actually looks like. You see, you can see agape, agape love for your enemies. If you agape your enemies, it'll be demonstrated in your words to them and toward them. Jesus continues, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. There's an action connected to agape. You're to bless them that curse you. The word bless carries the idea of speaking kindly, even affectionately. Encouraging, pronouncing favor. On your enemies. The word curse is right the opposite of that. It's, it's, it's not a reference to profanity. At least profanity alone. But rather refers to those who are critical of you. Condescending of you. Those who are tearing you down and slandering you. Jesus says if you love them. The way that I want you to love them, then you'll speak favorably not only to, but about. Not only in their presence, but in their absence. That, 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 that what you say to them... Personally, you say about them publicly. Did you know you can find something good to say about everybody? But if you look hard enough, you can find something bad to say about everybody too. But, but you see, that's a problem with God. There's a New Testament word for that. It's called gossip and slander and backbiting. We're to bless those 
that curse us? When's the last time you've really built up one of your enemies in front of your peers? The Apostle Paul identifies with this when he says in Colossians chapter number 4, to let your speech always with grace be always seasoned with be always with grace seasoned with salt and for this reason that you may know how you ought to answer every man Paul's saying listen you need to make a habit of speaking with grace and as the salt of the earth because there's going to come a time when one of your enemies is going to put you to the test and if you're not prepared, if you're not filled with grace and filled with, with salt, what's going to come out will be more like vinegar. Now, 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 here's the thing. Please, please hear me. I'm going somewhere with this because, Joel, we can't love our enemies right and talk about our enemies right if we can't talk to people that live in our own house right. We, we, we'll never get our words right around our enemies if we can't even get our words right around the people that we go to church with and call family. Bless them that curse you. Now, I told you, Jesus does not give us the option of running from our enemies. You got to be around somebody to love on somebody, amen. And and, and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there. When's the last time you've tracked one of your enemies down just to speak favorably to them? You see, if you don't take the initiative, they won't. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament too, I ought not even say this because you'll go do it now just for this. The Bible says, when you do that, you heap upon their heads coals of fire. That's Scripture. Now, now, now the Bible's not teaching us to torture our enemies by blessing them, but that it'll... it'll It'll, it'll sting them. It'll, it'll burn them and cause them to rethink what they're saying to you. James is one of my favorite books in the New Testament to give to a new believer. I call it Christianity 101 because James just really breaks the, the Christian life down and, and teaches it in really simple terms for the elementary Christian can grab a hold of it and learn to live the Christian life. It's always intrigued me at how much he has to say about the trouble we have with our tongues. In fact, James says in chapter number 3 and verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. I told you, you can't do it in the energy of your flesh. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, 
which are made after the similitude or in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Here's the problem. Doeth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. You see, we're interested in changing the fruit. That's what we do when we, um, you know, you, you, you read these books, Five Steps to Becoming a Better You. Five Steps to Increasing Your Prayer Life. Five Steps to Being Able to Overcome a Gossiping Spirit. Five, five Steps to Getting Your Finances Under Control. And we're, we're, we want to focus on the fruit of our lives. But James says the fruit's not the problem, it's the root. You, you, you see, the fruit is a reflection of the root. That's why Jesus was always more interested in the condition of our hearts than our actions. The outward is just a manifestation of the inward. He says, you're, listen, your, your, your language as a Christian should not be poison. It ought to be sweet. Did you know that, that, that using your words to bless your enemies has a boomerang effect? Y you know what I mean? What you send out, it'll come back. In, in fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that we as Christians should not render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. You, you, you see, we want to talk to somebody right. If we know we're going to get the right response back. But, but, but we're not as likely to tell somebody I love you and I care about you. If they're going to throw their nose up in the air and walk off in the other direction. We're, 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 we're not as apt to build somebody up and encourage them and, and lift them up before other people if we know they're tearing us down behind our back because we want some benefit after, out of what we put into something. And Peter's saying, listen, that when you bless other people, the blessing doesn't come from the people that you're blessing. It comes from God. Could I say this? God can bless you better than your best friend. Amen. And if God can bless you better than your best friend, he can certainly bless you better than your worst enemy can curse you. So, so when we use our words to, to build up our enemies, we're, we're literally setting ourselves up for a blessing. You know, I've often wondered. They don't know it. But I wonder how our enemies would feel if they knew every time they persecuted us, they were really setting us up for a blessing. 
Because Jesus said in this same sermon, Blessed are you when men persecute you, when, when you're reviled. Blessed are you for yours is the king. Listen, he, he's, he gives us blessings when other people persecute and criticize and attack us. So just go ahead and keep on talking about me. You're just putting another star in my crown. And, and listen, we need to be able to remember that and look at life in that light. Because, listen, some folks just ain't going to like you. It don't matter what you do. And you need to stop looking at re reciprocity. Is that how you say that word? To, to come back to you from people. No, listen, if you're expecting it to always come back from people, life's going to let you down. But if you're believing the scriptures and what Jesus taught, when we're a blessing to somebody else, my blessing isn't dependent on how Michael receives it. It's dependent upon the God that gives it. So you can, you can, you can tell if we're loving our enemies the way Jesus wants us to love our enemies by just examining our words. How we talk to and about our enemies. Secondly, I, I'm almost done, believe it or not. Love for our enemies is not only demonstrated in our words, but it's demonstrated in our works. <clears throat> Do good to them that hate you. To do good, you got to do something. Amen? And, and, and so, so Jesus says to, to, to love your enemy is to do good to them. Not only love, but love and our faith can be examined, measured, quantified, qualified, if you will, by looking not at the things that we do. I mean, I'm sorry, the things that we say but rather examining the things that we do, especially in relation to our enemies. James also deals a lot on that subject in Christianity 101. In fact, he doesn't even get past the second chapter till he makes this statement, What doeth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what, what is that profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now you know me. I'm, I'm not about to add or take away from scripture. But I think if we look. At the text that we're exam examining. In Matthew chapter number 5. That we do good unto them. Who are our enemies. And we lay it beside James chapter number 4. Then. Not only faith, but love, if it has not works, is dead being alone. It's just empty words that will more often than not, if not always, fall on deaf ears. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The Bible says that God has given us faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Did you know that James went on to say in chapter number 4, Therefore to him that knows to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, I want to pause for just a moment, and, and we'll get to the final, the, the final measure of our love. To know to do good and do it not. It's not a mistake. It's not a mishap. It's sin. So if I know that for me to love my enemies right means I must do good to them, and I don't do it, then what is it? It's sin. So i got to stop one more time and ask you and ask myself. When's the last time you tracked down one of your enemies and did something good for them? What, what, what would that good be? Well, in, in this case, James is just using a real simple illustration that you know, if somebody shows up church and you figure out that they ain't got no groceries and, and you tell them to go home and be filled up, but you don't give them any food, then, then your faith is worthless. It's dead. So if what good does it do us to tell somebody, I love you, if we know that they're hungry and we don't put food in their belly? If, if, if somebody comes and, and they're cold, boy, if y'all noticed how cold it's been. It, it got so warm last week, man, I felt like it was summertime and I about froze to death the last couple of days. And, and, and somebody shows up and, and, and they're cold and they ain't got no jacket. And you can't run up Walmart and pick them up a jacket. Then it don't matter how many times you tell them your love, you love them, your love is dead. Because it's not connected to work. So, so one more time, and, and I promise I'm going to move on. I'm not asking you when's the last time you've done something good for a family member. You do that or you feel guilty. Or, or when's the last time you've done something good for a friend. That's what friends do. Gentiles even do that kind of stuff. Lost people. But when's the last time you knowingly done something with no ulterior motive just to benefit one of your enemies? Thirdly and finally, you can also see your love. Get a visible representation of love for your enemies. And... You'll hear it before you see it. 
Because it has to do with your words also, but not to them or about them, but for them. Because Jesus said, pray for them. Now, I'm, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to confess my own sin. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. <clears throat> can, 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 can I just, without getting fired, confess that I've had some issues praying for people that disagree with me? Praying for people who slander me? Praying for people who come again. Praying for my enemies. You see, it's a whole lot easier to slander those on the opposite side of the river than it is to really pray for them. Now, now be careful. Because there's a right way and a wrong way to pray for people. Amen. God, I wish you'd straighten that heifer out. Lord, you see how he's treating me. Why don't you run him out of the road when he leaves here? No, no, no. How do we pray? How do we really pray for people who are coming against us? That's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit to you, that's challenging. And the only way that I've found that'll help me stay in check or help me get in check if I'm out of check is, is to get a glimpse of the cross. When Jesus' enemies, Jew and Roman, nailed him to the cross, he hung. He hung there for over six hours while his enemies spit on him and ridiculed him and beat him. And he looks down at that crowd and then he lifts his eyes up toward heaven. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Tim, Jesus wasn't just praying for the Roman soldiers or the Pharisees and the scribes. You're incorporated in that prayer. He was praying for me and you as his enemies when he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Boy, aren't you glad that Jesus loves his enemies? That he represents them well to the Father with his words. Aren't you glad that he prays for us? 
And not only did he do good, but he still does good for us. And you say, yeah, but preacher, Jesus is God. He sure is. But I'm mindful. I'm mindful tonight of a man named Stephen. Who was the first Christian martyr. We read about his death in Acts chapter number 7. Where the same Jewish leaders that had Jesus nailed to the cross... The Bible says stoned him out in the public square. The Bible says that Jesus lifted up his eyes toward heaven. And having learned something from Jesus, prayed, lay not this sin to their charge. Stephen was a mortal man just like you and me. But he was able to love his enemies enough to pray for them. He was able to walk in the footsteps and model the prayer that Jesus prayed from the cross. Isn't it interesting that that happens at the end of Acts chapter number 7? And the first thing you read in Acts chapter number 8 verse 1 is that they who stoned Stephen laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul probably having given the order for Stephen to be stoned to death. So Paul's standing there. Saul, I mean, is standing there when that prayer is being prayed. He hears it roll off the lips of Peter. has to be more than coincidence that one chapter later, Stephen, I'm sorry, Saul meets Jesus and becomes Paul. And the greatest enemy of the church at that day and time got saved, got born again, and become the gospel's greatest preacher and advocate. I just wonder, I just wonder if we would learn from the Lord Jesus and if we would learn from Stephen what it really means to love our enemies, what God might do in the lives of those that's persecuting the church right now. Could could, could I say to you, I don't care whether they're conservative or liberal, God's bigger and more powerful than they are. I don't care how much influence, power, wealth, riches they possess. God's bigger than they are. Amen? So in closing, I I hope this evening that neither of us sitting here or, or, or gathered online have jumped out and locked arms with any group or party on either side of the bank. But maybe we would be content to just stand in the river and by God's grace 
and the Holy Spirit's enablement. Love our enemies on both sides of the river. Because you see, love is truly the only remedy for hatred. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. God, I'm content that while I deserve to spend eternity in hell separated from you, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven in your presence because faith came by hearing and hearing by the word. God, there's no telling what I would have done, could have done, might have done apart from your intervening grace in my life. I realize that I'm still capable of doing horrendous things and committing terrible wrongs apart from your spirit and your power. So God, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to the reality that those on the right or the left if they aren't born again they don't know what they're doing and so Father I pray that you would help us to Be the ministers of grace, ministers of the gospel, to be that salt and that light in the midst of these dark hours. We pray for those who are going all out, all in, in an assault against the church. Christian values and principles, biblical truth. And God, we pray that you would save them. Lord, that you would meet them where they're at and draw them to yourself. They need a miracle. God, we need you to move in our country like we've not seen or experienced in a long time. And if we're honest with ourselves, Lord, we not only need it in our country, we need it in our homes. We need it in our churches. So, Lord, yes, please, help us to become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Remember our sign-up sheets will be laying um, on the
Welcome Center Desk. If you're joining with us online and you hadn't already clicked off, um, if you would like to volunteer, you can call us, uh, send us an email or a text and let us know that, that you would like to participate uh, in e either of these Bible studies or our Easter service, and we'll be glad to, to sign you up. Uh, love you. Thank you for being here.